I'm gonna make myself another drink, even though it's uh, it's past five p.m. <laughs> I'm all good. I deserve this. Yeah, that's right. Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen. And I'm Maya Garantz. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. Drag queens. Drag bands. Trans panic. I mean, it's really, it's like, what's that movie? Reefer Madness. It's yes, exactly. Like, like trans madness. Yeah. That is the topic of this episode. Oh my goodness, Maya, we have a lot to talk about. We haven't seen each other in weeks, haven't been able to record It's true. for a while. I was in rural Georgia at an artist residency center that very purposefully has really shitty cell phone service and no Wi-Fi anywhere, and it was amazing. <laughs> oh my God, it so was so good. What did you do the whole time? I read and I watched old movies that I'd never gotten to see, and I uh, and I danced and I went on hikes and I sat on my porch while the summer rains just poured down like southern lightning storms. It was fucking amazing. It sounds wonderful. It you amazing. look amazing. You seem very refreshed and energetic. Oh my God. It was really, really good. I also realized, though, and I don't know how you feel about Cassavetes, but I am not in a place right now where I'm enough of a masochist to watch Cassavetes movies. Okay. It's like the abjection is, is too because I was like watching all these movies. I'm like, I'm going to finally see all these things I've never seen. I'm going to catch up on my Ernst Lubitsch movies. I'm going to catch up on my Dorothy Arzner. I'm going to finally watch all of these Bogdanovich films I've never seen. Like I was like, I am doing it. And I was like, I'm going to finally catch up on my Cassavetes watching. And then I was like, tried the first 15 minutes of Women Under the Influence and the first 20 minutes of Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't think I can suffer like this right now. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. I need some visual pleasure. I need some narrative joy. Yeah. Even if it's about dark things, like I can't. Mm. I don't think I've ever sat through a Cassavetes movie, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, how can you torment yourself like that? Also, I went to my Yale College reunion. Oh my God. I cannot believe I didn't tell you this story. So in my class, and actually in my residential college, is this guy, new congressman, Dan Goldman. Oh, wow. Daniel Sachs Goldman, but his money is not from Goldman Sachs. It's actually from the, he's a Le he's <laughs> the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune. Oh, my. Which is why he could spend all that money destroying his primary uh, candidate. Opponent. Yeah. Opponent. And he said in this like panel they had about politics that he was like, AOC is the Marjorie Taylor Greene of the left. Oh, which is such a craven, cynical, God. disgusting thing to say. And so clearly, obviously, about the insecurity of his masculinity <laughs> in entering this political field where he's like, she's smarter than me and communicates better with the American people. Mm -hmm. I must paint her as an extremist. It's how they justify having extremists on their side. They don't want to have the guilt by association. So they say, like, both sides have their crazy people. Look at AOC. I mean, I'd hate to try to get into the mind of someone who fancies themselves to be like a mainstream Republican, 
you know, a no, non-MAGA. He's a Democrat. He's a though. Democrat. He's a Democrat. That's and painful. I think he's trying That's to painful. paint himself as like a mainstream centrist right. kind of like I think AOC, like that's just, she's just nutty, just like Marjorie Taylor. Like it's this way of trying to set himself up as this centrist dude who people can trust. I think both sides are wrong. That makes me a very smart person. It's it's madness. Also, I have to tell you the story. You can totally cut this out. But I got, um, for the first time in years, got picked up on by someone. Congratulations. It was It was kind of weird. Because he came up to me during the In Memoriam segment where, like, we're watching these videos of all the people who died and I'm, like, shaking, trying not to cry. And all of a sudden, this guy's, like, right there. He asked me what I do and blah, 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 bullshit. And then he's like, so what's your personal situation? And I said, I'm married with two kids. And he's like, yeah, how's that going? <laughs> Bold. I like it. I, 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 I appreciate the approach. Married with two kids is not a no, you know? That's, uh, <laughs> that's. I thought it was. I thought yeah, that right. I saying you're married to. I thought that was a clear answer, but no. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of marriages out there. There's, there's happy maybe, ones. There's not happy ones. Maybe I'm feeling really bored and empty right. inside. And there's, yeah. And there's open ones. Like you never know what someone's situation is just because they're married with kids. I respect him for not taking that for granted. <laughs> I don't respect choosing the in memoriam segment no, as the time to make a move. That's pretty that bad is a form. little sociopathic. Yeah, yeah, that's so. That's my story. I'm sorry that you had to deal with such a um, inappropriate come on, but I still <laughs> congratulate you on being attractive. I mean, I know that you are. You're very, very sexually appealing to many people, but I feel like not at this in LA. age, not in LA. Yeah, I mean, when I was a 22 year old slut in LA, I was not sexually appealing in LA. Like what I am selling, oh. they are not buying. So it's nice to be back on the East Coast. Right, frankly, right. <laughs> um, it's a good feeling. So that's how I'm doing. I'm drinking tequila. How are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I really wanted to have a drink that would be themed to the episode. And so my first thought was there's called a drag queen cocktail, a cocktail called the drag queen, but it has like 50 ingredients and there are things I don't have. You know, it's got like orange juice and cherry juice and a bunch of stuff. I'm like, am I going to go Being to the store? a drag store? queen is a lot of work. It there's is. a lot of labor. That is, that's It has true. many steps to be that's, a successful drag that's queen. That's a fair point And that makes it a, an appropriate recipe for the name. Uh, but I was not willing to put in the effort. I'm not going to like go to the store and buy all that shit. Uh, my second choice was uh, there's a cocktail that Queen Elizabeth used to drink called, well, I don't know if it has a name. Everyone just calls it the Queen's cocktail. Uh, but it's like Dubonnet and something else. And I don't have Dubonnet and I wasn't going to go to the store to buy it. But I thought, you know, she's a queen. It's a queen's cocktail. Absolutely. And then there's the queen's cocktail, which is like the borough of Queens. Like there's a Manhattan and it's like a version of a Manhattan, but it has pineapple juice, which of course I don't have. Um, so I just made myself a pink lady. I thought perfect. That's, that's pretty good, right? For the drag theme. And I do want to share with the listeners, she was making this while we were talking, <laughs> didn't measure a thing, and then just shook it, poured it in, and it hit the coupe glass perfectly. 
Right. Just like fill, she's filled up the glass completely without a drop going over and not a drop left over. Foam exactly where it needs to. I mean, very impressive drink making. Thank you. Thank very, you. very impressive. I have a few skills in this life. <laughs> very few, but they are there. So we have just a couple of very quick, like a lot has not just happened for us personally, but in the world since we last recorded, given our last episode, which was about E. Jean Carroll's uh, trial, rape trial of Trump and Tucker Carlson getting fired, uh, E. Jean Carroll won. She won. Trump was found guilty to liable. the tune of libel to the tune of five million dollars, uh, both for defaming her and assaulting her. Now, it's interesting because sexual assault and rape, like the rape charge was a no. And that's complicated and we're not going to get into it. But they the assault the assault charge was no, they uh, the they, jury yeah, determined on that, that he sexually assaulted her. Mm -hmm. Yes. And therefore, in his comments where he said that she's a liar and he didn't, he was defaming her. Yes. And then interestingly enough, though not surprisingly, like the next day, pretty much, Trump went on that CNN town hall, which we don't have to talk about why that happened. Uh, but when asked about it, he made the same fucking comments again. He said the same stuff. She's not my type. I would never touch her. I've never met her. She's lying. All the same defamatory remarks. So then everyone was like, what happens now? Does she sue him again? Can it like I think, somehow? Yes. I think yeah. the answer is yes. She does sue him again. Yeah. Also, just in these ongoing political things, because as we've been talking about in our last episode, there is like the timeline of stories in journalistic time and in legal time. So both the E. Jean Carroll story and the Tucker Carlson story, we were like, well, in legal time, it's caught up to things that we've been talking about you know, right. four years ago, right? Um, there is a recording of Trump acknowledging that he took classified, took and kept classified documents that the grand jury listened to. <laughs> so that also in legal time, it seems yeah. like the check is coming due. Another place in which the check, uh, the legal check is coming due is Stuart Rhodes, the head of the Oath Keepers, uh, has been put in jail for 18 years for seditious conspiracy relating to his organizing of the January 6th insurrection. This yes. will be important for later in this episode. <laughs> and uh, to follow up on Tucker Carlson, that our mm. last episode, we, we had talked about his firing from Fox and we were wondering where he would land next. The answer to that turns out to be he's going to have a show on Twitter, which is interesting because, well, first of all, between that and DeSantis making his announcement of his candidacy for presidency, he did it on Twitter, on Twitter spaces with uh, no small amount of technical difficulties. But oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like for that. the first for the first half hour, it wouldn't work. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a shit show, kind of a complete disaster, which is like not surprising, but definitely fun and, you know, gratifying to see. But uh, the idea that um, that Twitter is like neutral, <laughs> that is a neutral space for people of whatever uh, political side to come and talk openly like that, that that illusion is, is shattering as increasingly uh, Elon Musk. Well, he's also increasingly tweeting things that are like 
flat out anti-Semitic. But also he's doing these things that are like, you are making this a conservative platform. I don't know why. I mean, I guess I know why if you like believe in this stuff and want to forward it. But like even Elon Musk has to have a shred, a shred of business acumen, like enough to look at a parlor and truth social and not be like, yes, that's the way to do it. Like, I, I don't know, dude, like $44 billion. Like you think you'd want to pay some of that back eventually, but no, uh, apparently he doesn't. And he is making it a conservative site, which I think is going to, I know is going to further contribute to its decline. Yeah. Which is, you know, why I uh, started an account on blue sky. Okay. Okay. Have you heard of the Blue Sky? Maya? I have not been. Isn't the Blue Sky Jack Dorsey's new thing? Yes. Oh, they really? Yeah. It's for for a hot minute. Everyone was talking about Blue Sky as it was going to be the Twitter alternative. I guess because Jack. I don't know. Um, also because it's only in beta testing right now, so you have to have an invite code to start an account. Otherwise, you get put on a waiting list. But um, AOC and a couple of other big Twitter luminaries started accounts. And so that gave it this like legitimacy and people were starting to get jazzed up about it. Okay. The gist okay. of it is it's going to be it's going to be a federated thing like Mastodon. Okay. But more user friendly. I think they're not using the Mastodon protocol. And the big idea is that it will, you know, you know how these tech people are. It will solve all of the issues of uh, moderation and, you know, like moderating forums and keeping them safe through the use of technology, right? If you get the protocol right, then the user will have all this choice and how they want to uh, arrange the algorithm for themselves and they can moderate for themselves or as a community and all this shit. And I'm like, this is too complicated already. I don't like any of right. this. But right. they promise it'll be super user-friendly and easy. I'm like, I just want a Twitter that's not Twitter. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. But it has really been fun, Blue Sky, because there's only like, I don't know, like 80,000 people on it or something, somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000. So uh, it's small. And like even the big accounts aren't that big. Like Jake Tapper's on there letting the fuck loose. Jake Tapper is just being hilarious and like no holds barred. Like he doesn't give a shit on Blue Sky. But like you can tweet, you can respond to, not tweet, they call it a skeet. That's a community decision. You can reply to his post and he'll like repost you or reply to you, you know? And it's like, wow, I have such access to Jake Tapper. <laughs> That's very it's sexy. Like, I'm very into it. It is sexy. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. The, it reminds me of the early days of Twitter when things were kind of freewheeling and fun and silly and people were just exploring what they could do with the medium, with the platform. And yeah, people who were pretty big time, big celebrities were accessible. All right. Well, if you get an invite, let me know. Uh, I will. I certainly will. Give it to me. Give it to me. I will let you me in first. if that ever happens. Um, well, we will let you know, listeners, if we go to Blue Sky. Thank you for your patience as I have returned to some kind of sanity. I'm really happy to be back. I've missed you guys a lot. It's been a really fucking horrible year. <laughs> and it seems like we're finally turning a corner. Um, I want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon for all their incredible insights about ADHD and being neurodivergent and... Um, 
they have been really helpful and amazing. Uh, we're having great conversations. I really thank you. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash sauce podcast, uh, as we re-enter 2023 with vigor, you will be helping us to make this podcast possible. All right. So, I mean... Where do we start? Where do oh, we start? Jesus. Okay. We're going to talk about this phenomenon that is happening on the right, but is also just happening across America in state legislatures, which is this panic around drag and drag performances and around trans people and transness. And and there's always been this panic, but this is coming across in specific state legislatures. Like yeah, there are yeah. laws being passed right now at an astonishing clip that yeah. are all specifically about this. And we're like, yeah. okay, we got to talk about this. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, I can't believe I forgot to say happy Pride Month. Oh, yes, absolutely. It is Pride Month, so it's a good time to address this, I think. Um, I want to start by just talking about the bans on drag performance and then talk about this assault on trans people and trans lives that is happening. But let's start with the drag thing. So first of all, what's going on? At this point where we are in the beginning of June of 2023, uh, three states have already signed into law drag bans, bans on drag performance they're not straight up across the board bans but they like are banning drag in public places or drag performance in places where children are present things like that first to do it was tennessee uh and then arkansas and then montana um montana's just was just this past month in may and theirs is interesting because montana was the first state to specifically ban people dressed in drag from reading books to children at public schools and libraries, regardless of the sexual significance of the event. So that last phrase is to indicate that um, most of these bills, whether they've been passed, signed into law or what, but there's a ton of these bills out there that are banning drag in some way, shape or form. Most of them have been defining drag as um being sexual in nature, as being uh, adult in nature. And uh, Montana's the first state to just be like, no, you can't be, I guess, a man dressed up in women's clothing reading to children, um, which is pretty, pretty fucking phenomenal. And also pretty fucking against the First Amendment and unconstitutional. Oh, my God. uh, But it's also like reminding me, for our listeners who know their gay history of how um, in gay clubs, when they got attacked or like when police would do raids on gay clubs, you had to be wearing three pieces of gender appropriate clothing. Yes. Yes. I was going to get to that because that's the Stonewall. That's that's why the police raided the Stonewall bar in 1969 because there were trans women and drag queens present and yes you have to be wearing three pieces of clothing that match your gender like which is wild to me because it's like what 
Is it like a t-shirt, jeans? Like what? I know the 1969 was maybe a little more delineated than right, it is now. More sort of formal. Um, yeah. And I see what's interesting is so 13 additional states have proposed these bans. They're advancing in those state legislatures. Tennessee, I mean, I feel like every musical artist who's passing through, Yola Tango did a show in Nashville and they all wore dresses for the show. Like oh, everybody is, um, Lizzo had her big shows in Tennessee and had a bunch of drag queens come on stage with her. So I don't know how much is being enforced. Um, I think there may be a, a court injunction against it or something. I, I shouldn't speak without knowing this. I should know right. this. But a lot of these laws that have been signed into law immediately, you know, the ACLU or some other entity or individual files suit and there often have been injunctions against them. So I'm not sure that that law is in effect because it's like I was thinking about this being Pride Month, you know, Memphis is going to have a pride parade and I don't know if they have those in Arkansas, but Yes, they do. They have pride in Arkansas. <laughs> they have pride in Montana. They have pride everywhere. Like sometimes they're still small, but like And yes. pride parades, like you could you could argue that a Yola Tango concert is not on public property or is not uh having kids there. I don't know. But like a, a pride parade is gonna be on public property and it's gonna be with kids in attendance. So what are you gonna have? A pride parade without drag queens? Like, are we going to be arresting people for dressing in drag at Pride? Pride, yeah. I, 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 I don't think so. Yeah, I don't well, fucking think, I'm well, not trying to put it past anybody in these some of these states. But well, yeah. Well, so then, so then here's the other thing, which is that, so there are these laws which in terms of their actual effectiveness enforcement... Remains to be seen. Really remains to be seen. But then you're also seeing a lot of violence targeting... Yeah drag events. Yeah. The, this legislation is all happening against this backdrop of this incredible rise in protests, threats, and violence around drag events. Uh, according to GLAAD, uh, there were at least 141 incidents of protests and threats targeting drag events last year, with an additional at least 25 this year in 2023. So I think it goes without saying, but this is an incredible <laughs> increase from yes. like the very few that were happening before. And these protests, they are happening all over. Um, I think I saw a chart that showed which states had them the most and it, they were kind of like in the Midwest, but they are happening in the San Francisco Bay Area. They are happening oh, yeah. in Manhattan, in New York. Like, And they're it, going sort of crazy. up and down the chain. There was this huge thing that's just happened in my town where the LA Dodgers for Pride Month were going to have the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence there oh, and yes. then uninvited them because of protests and then apologized and invited them back. But then Clayton Kershaw, who's like total Jesus dude, is like, well, I don't believe. Like, there's this bit. We're in L.A. <laughs> we're in, in LA. L.A. Like, I what? Know. It's wild. Well, you also have Target. I don't know if you heard this. Target yeah. has their line every year of LGBT pride, LGBTQ pride products that they put out during Pride Month. And this year they started having violence in certain stores and certain locations. People were knocking the shit off the shelves and causing a ruckus. I don't even know the details of it. But Target decided to pull certain items, not the whole line, but certain items 
you know, they say to protect the safety of their staff, you know, their employees, which I can't blame them for wanting to do that. But you're also like, this seems like the wrong answer. Well, they're just, and then they're pulling like, him from every store too. Yeah. It's not just the stores yeah. that have been affected. It's like if people don't like this book about being a trans kid, they're just pulling it completely, which is like, uh Yeah, yeah they're I, they're I they're allowing the terrorists to uh yeah, to exactly. I mean and to speaking win. of which, by the way, I think we should make really clear how we feel about this because maybe you don't know us that well <laughs> fair enough you you could be a first-time listener which by the way welcome lovely to have you uh but we perceive this as fascism yeah <laughs> like let's uh, just... it's fascism it's fascism and 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 lest anyone listening might doubt that or think that we are being hyperbolic let's point out that these protests and threats of violence against drag events that have been going on have largely involved groups like the Proud Boys mm-hmm. and other white nationalist groups. Patriot Front, neo-Nazi yes, Patriot- groups. These are neo-Nazi groups. These are fascists. So these state legislatures that are passing these bans are on the same wavelength as outright neo-Nazis. Whether they're working together or not, they definitely are on the same page. And you put this uh, put this story that just this past month, masked neo-Nazi groups in Ohio protesting drag events in Wadsworth and Columbus carried uh, anti-drag and anti-trans banners, including one that read, there will be blood. Mm-hmm. So this is not yeah. like protect no. the children. No. This is violence. This is it's, real it is. violence. It is violent. And this is a, a very old Proud Boys tactic. I especially noted it when I was living in Berkeley because groups like this would converge on Berkeley periodically. We're talking about like 2015, right. 2016. Right. Um, um, I guess it would have been 2016, 2017 because it was after Trump was elected. And they were all emboldened. But they would converge on Berkeley to have a free speech protest. They'd call it like a free speech protest or some shit like that. And their whole aim was to get Antifa and counter protesters upset to provoke violence. So then they can post to their sites and to social media videos of the violent Antifa. Like they're there to provoke violence. They have been doing this for years now this is their target is these drag events can i mention something about that whole free speech thing sure (laughs) because the washington post just came out with an incredible uh, article that they did where they did a deep dive into all of the book banning in a lot of these states that are the same kind of states that are having drag bans um they're allowing people to flag like citizens to flag books that they think mm-hmm. should be banned from public libraries. Yes. And the Washington Post did a deep dive into these these requests and found that the vast majority of requests to ban books around queer and LGBTQ themes are by 11 people. And those 11 people are Nazis. I mean, they're like <laughs> they're they are people who are aligned where you don't have to go two degrees of separation to find their alignment, not just with white supremacist ideology, but with actual white supremacist groups. And including there's this one article that I have to read for you. 
in Flagler. God, where is Flagler? In Flagler, Florida, of course. Um, oh, it's an actual place. It is an actual place and a school board meeting. A parent who was pressing for book bans justified Hitler's book burning in the Nazi Germany of the 30s. As far as the books that Hitler banned, most of them were actually pamphlets written by a child psychologist whose body of work contained positive views of pedophilia. Like, yeah, yeah. it does not exist, at least not in documented, creditable form because the statement is patently false. Thank you for noting that flaglerlive.com but yeah this so we're seeing this rhetoric where you're seeing white supremacist and neo-nazi groups and aligned people banning books fighting for drag bans yeah yeah so i want to unpack some of this and um why it is important uh, aside from the first amendment constitutional rights issue And including this whole, yes, this is a neo-Nazi thing. This is a fascist thing. And it is gaining a lot of credibility or weight within the right-wing culture, within the right-wing media sphere. You have right-wing pundits, uh, Tucker Carlson, Matt Walsh, uh, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, uh, a lot of these people, and more, and many more. who have been linking drag queens and drag performance, especially drag performances that are family-oriented, family-friendly for kids, they have been linking it to the LGBT grooming conspiracy theory. So just a little history for you. This is like a recycling of a very old argument. Uh, In the 1970s, when the gay rights movement started to happen and the idea of treating gay people as human beings started to actually creep into mainstream discourse, one of the big responses from those opposed to gay rights was to call them pedophiles. Yes. Was, Was to suggest that gay people are perverts. Yes. And are dangerous to your children. Because what about the children? Yes. Right? And this was used to forward specific legislation like banning gay people from being teachers in schools. Mm -hmm. Or I should say banning out gay people. That's right. Because, of course, gay people have always been teachers. But banning them from coming out. But uh, the conspiracy theory here is, is really the core of their supposed opposition to drag. And, and it's really uh, interesting because this wasn't the case in the 70s when they were calling gay people pedophiles and gay people groomers. Although I doubt they even used the word groomer at that time. That's, that's a term they've appropriated from activism, really feminist activism, yes. Me Too, that's, people talking yes. about sexual abuse. Groomer is an actual term. And it's an actual term that is developed uh, in a lot of ways, by psychologists and by people yes. who are working to try to target sexual abuse to articulate how an adult manipulates someone to be available to be exploited. Yes. A term from psychology to describe this phenomenon by which abusers, predators target their victims. And gain access to their victims because as we are learning, as we study this over the past, I don't know, 40 years, most sexual abuse happens from people that someone knows. 
and it does not. It's like they're trying to undermine old ideas of how sexual abuse happens by strangers in the dark, whatever. Like with the rise of understanding of things like date rape, acquaintance rape, all of these things, understanding how to try to get on top of child sexual abuse. No, it's not going to be a stranger. It's going to be someone you know. And these are the tactics whereby they gain access and trust and manipulate somebody to to abuse them. So they are appropriating that term and trying to turn it around and apply it to drag queens performing right. at brunch. Like, Well, in this case, uh, which I think makes this different from what we saw like in the 70s and 80s, in this case, it has its roots in QAnon. Right, but right. But we have this like full-on conspiracy theory going on, which goes beyond just the painting of a class of people as perverts and actually is positing the idea that there's like a coordinated effort. Yes. I yes. mean, I, I think it varies from like the hardcore QAnoners who believe that there is like some kind of child sexual slavery ring that the Democrats are conducting to less far gone people who are maybe not in the QAnon realm, but have also just sort of adopted this idea that in this culture war, their enemy are these left wingers, Democrats, liberals, who who want to just dismantle all of their values and yes. everything that they believe in. And part of that is apparently prepping children for sexual abuse. Yes. Like it's it's really quite unhinged. Well, it's it's unhinged and it's not anchored to any kind of actual yeah. reality. <laughs> this no, is the hardest that's part. That's what I'm like, saying. It's not like, anchored to whoa. anything. It's not anchored to how grooming actually works. But my point is just that uh, we've gone from vilifying gay people to like vilifying all like allies and Democrats and liberals. Everybody who would would say we should be allowed to have a drag brunch is a groomer or is supporting grooming, is supporting the sexual abuse of children somehow. Well, also acknowledging, well, we're going to get to this with the trans stuff, but acknowledging queerness is somehow akin to manipulating. It's very much like the critical race theory thing. Like if you Mm -hmm. teach them that these kind of histories happened or that gay people are okay, you're trying to make them gay, not just sexually abuse them in this conspiracy, but there's this side of it where it's like you're manipulating kids into thinking this stuff is okay. And what we find very strange about this particular moment is that RuPaul's Drag Race has been on now for 15 years. <laughs> like right. the Birdcage, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Tu uh, Wong Fu, when you're even thinking about like Kurt Cobain in a dress, like whatever, even Marilyn Manson with a sexually abusing ass, wearing lipstick. Like, yeah. We, the, we, we answered these questions in the 90s. Yeah. Is the point, right? Yeah. We, we, confronted mainstream culture we adopted we appropriated we took all the edge out of drag right <laughs> like drag absolutely has fucking incredible history oh my god the tv show pose like at this point it is on every major like and straight we queer eye not that they're all drag queens but this idea that somehow we can put 
these people stuff them back in the bottle. Back I'm in the like, box. Right, right. This like, is the genie is out of the bottle. This makes money yeah. for a lot of like big TV corporations. Like RuPaul's Drag Race not only has been on for 15 seasons, but it has like 10 spinoffs. It's like a fucking industry. It's a, it's an industry. It's one Emmys. Like it's their yeah. multiple <laughs> spinoffs just on HBO alone because it's fun and spectacular and makes all this money. Like, and the wild popularity of it points to the fact that not just queer people are watching it. Like, right. everybody's watching it. Like, everybody's watching this is it. not just like, oh, for a little side community. No, it is like one of the most popular shows on television. Yes. What I am interested in is specifically when it comes to these drag bands yes. and these drag protests, you are seeing not just a, an opposition to further progress. You're not seeing... Um, you know, accept transness. No, that's a bridge too far, which, of course, you're going to get resistance. Anytime you're asking people to accept something new, there's going to be these fuckers who are resisting it. Right. But this is like, like you said, trying to put the genie back in the bottle. This is, we settled this argument 20, 30 years ago. Like, this is over. We've sanitized drag. We are doing it in libraries for children. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. We're doing it at brunch. We're having shows in Vegas. Like, we are... Yeah. yeah this I mean, is, they've always had the shows in Vegas. Ever that's since true. Little but, but, but it's also not just like... It's gone past female impersonators or whatever. Right. Like, right. it's a whole world and culture and it's an art form it is it's an art form so it's wild that they are trying to move the clock back in that way and i have some theories as to why that is one is i think this just total return to 1950s suppression is like their goal it's also a fascist thing. It's like we have to cleanse our society. So of they, deviance, they, yeah. Of deviance, right. So they just want to suppress everything. Uh, but I also think drag uh, brunches, drag story hour, these events that happen uh, provide a venue for these protests that would not exist otherwise. So the real target may be trans rights and the existence of trans people. Or the real target is just finding another chapter for the culture wars because they lost yes. on gay marriage. They right. you know like right. like I've we've watched these culture wars go through yeah. all of their cycles mm -hmm. and they're like we don't have anywhere to perform this or to set up the mass performance of the culture war. It's true. It's true but like if you want to have a protest you've got to have some kind of thing to protest you've got to have an event a venue for that protest you can't just protest trans people i mean there are certainly events like trans rights events and things like that but like there's drag brunches and drag story hours all over the place yes all the time so it's super easy it's super convenient and it just provides a pretext for them to do this thing they want to do which is intimidate people and uh, provoke violence. I also am interested in the way that these drag bands are all premised on the idea that drag as an art form is inherently sexual. And not only sexual, 
but even obscene or at least sexually deviant. Like it's all premised on that. Uh, these laws don't make any sense. And the shit you see on Twitter doesn't make any sense unless we accept this premise that just drag is inherently yeah. sexual. Yeah. Which is, it's like really a, a fraught thing because first of all, it's not. Like, it's just not. Um, but also it is. <laughs> well, you know what I was just thinking of is the way that um, drag is a current form of clown. Of like clown performance. Like the drag performer can say anything. Like mm -hmm. the, the way that the court jester can say anything. Right. Drag is a liminal space where jokes and humor and play can happen. It's this alternate space. Now, because it's an alternate space where the key component is gender, that it's not like the genderless clown or like Charlie Chaplin or like whatever, even though it is. It's exactly like that. Yeah. But it's just anchored in gender play. And that makes people fucking crazy because i'm sorry i have to i have to just i've been reading this american studies genius michael rogan where he's talking about you mean uc berkeley's michael rogan yeah uc berkeley's michael rogan he passed away in 2001 but he's talking about how there are sort of two versions of seeing drag either that the cross-dresser acquires power over the sex from whose position he speaks which sometimes you definitely see like when uh, certain white straight men perform in drag, it's very much like reestablishing their actual heteronormativity and their masculinity. So you see that in comedy all, all if, the time. If I may, I, I saw a great skeet on Blue Sky and forgive me, uh, I don't remember who posted it. So if they happen to be listening, please let us know so I can give you credit. But it was talking about that, how so many of these uh, legislators and governors, whatever, who are opposed to drag, uh, you find some picture of them in college dressed in drag. Of course. And it's like the difference is they see it as different. Yes. Because that kind of drag is them making fun of women. Exactly. Whereas drag drag is Dra celebrating women. Well, but also in the second view, the cross-dresser parodies and denaturalizes the binary opposition. He later says... It doesn't signify the either or, but the both and, that it points to the two identities in play and the and to the playfulness itself. So it creates a category crisis. So not only does drag so often celebrate women and femininity, which, of course, people hate. They love when girls are tomboys. They hate when those girls mm -hmm. grow up and still want to be like men. But they mostly hate when boys want to dress like girls. Like, why don't we not have an equivalent of tomboy for boys who play in that space? But this idea of the either or and what drag does is demonstrate the very constructed nature of gender, that there is no natural, natural gender. The gender is all a performance. It's all a construction. And you see it in the wild variety of drag queens, where you have drag queens who stay very sort of close to some kind of normal like passing. And then the drag queens who fly into the wildness of the most right. exaggerated, ridiculous like places of that. I remember this one amazing drag queen I knew who his drag persona was sort of like a, a middle-aged to elderly like Eastern European lady with big orthotic amazing. shoes you know what oh I mean God, like, it's so a 
like all that kind of play and it demonstrates yeah. that it's all made up. It's all made up. Right, and that right. is making well, people that's, crazy. That's, I think, the core of it, right? That's the essence is like all gender is performance. And this idea is is highlighted by drag. That's what drag is saying. And and this is terrifying and discomforting in a very deep way to a lot of conservatives. Um, they are uncomfortable with these non-normative gender performances. But what I find fascinating is the targeting of drag because it is a literal manifest performance. It is explicitly a performance. The over-the-top performance that drag queens usually are presenting is so threatening because it points out, it highlights that all gender is performance. And that's one of the things that I've actually found really interesting about what RuPaul's Drag Race has wrought, because mm. they show the drag queens at all their stages. Like like right. some of the drag queens, when they're out of their persona, out of their clown, are still very feminine. Some are trans. Some of them are just like queer men, like RuPaul himself who, like, mm -hmm. will dress up in drag for the final judging, but the rest of the time is, like, a very attractive tall black man in a suit. And you're actually seeing the diversity of how they play that edge, right? And yes. the big part of that demonstrates that, like, yeah, these this is a character that they play on TV. This is not them. So, yeah, it's weird that they're attacking that, because it's obviously a performance that they are performing. Right. They're lip syncing I mean, to songs. Like, come on. Yeah, yes. it is. But that's my point. Is like, I think the fact that it's a performance is like disturbing to them. They might be okay with gay people because you can kind of frame gay people as just being straight people with the woman swapped out yeah. or the man swapped out if you must. Uh, but drag, drag, makes you question everything. Yes. It plays in those spaces, in those liminal spaces. It plays in the ambiguity and it highlights the construction, the, the constructed nature of everything. the other places it plays in is class and race, which is also oh. extremely upsetting for people because yeah. drag absolutely glories in that. Um, and mm -hmm. and in in class performance and race performance and in exaggerating some things and not exaggerating others and like playing with what is and what is not uh, real. And that yeah. is very, very hard for these conservatives <laughs> to deal with. And I would add one more thing, which is that drag, as far as drag queens are concerned, which is what we're really talking about, it's men pretending to be women. And this is why they see it as inherently sexual, because women are inherently sexual. The female body is the site of sex. It is just the female body is sexual. So for a man to put on woman's clothing and, and act feminine, even an exaggerated version of that, that's inherently sexual because women are sexual. And it, it also is very threatening to masculinity and to machismo. The idea that a man would uh, would relinquish his 
masculinity and accept that role as the object of sexual attention, as the receiver in heterosexual terms of sexual uh, action, <laughs> that 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 goes against the very concept of masculinity. And I just want to point out machismo and that type of masculinity are core aspect of fascism. Yes. Yes. So it's this, and this idea that drag queens in their play and joy and sparkliness are going to seduce young boys. Right. Away from wanting to be men in this yes. specific way. Yes. That's like the heart of the panic. So, Rebecca, what about the children? Because it seems like the other side of this anti-drag panic, and we can't have children exposed to this, is all of the extreme anti-trans legislation. And we actually have guests to have on to get into this more deeply. I think today we want to talk about this basic political Moment. side of it that is yeah. happening right now. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about than we can get into in this episode. Oh, than we sure. possibly ever could. Yes. So I, I do want to continue to follow up on this. Uh, what I want to talk about right now is this idea of this anti-drag legislation as a gateway drug to anti-trans legislation. Yes. Yes. And the two are very much conflated drag performance and transness very much conflated in the conservative imagination right now. Yes. There's a deliberate campaign on the right to associate transness with drag performance and vice versa. One of the biggest problems with that is that um, we just talked about how drag is this over-the-top performance. It is a stage performance. It is a literal performance. And so by associating that with trans people and trans identities, you are suggesting that trans identities are fake, basically. You're yes. undermining their authenticity. And here we get to a little bit of the trickiness and stickiness that has always been the case with debates and how language changes. And we've talked about this a little bit before, how it was a big moment and a very important part of gay liberation to say, look, being gay is not a choice. We were right. we were born this way, right? Mm -hmm. And and to say like there is some essential way that this is like not our fault. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be confusing when you're then talking about the constructedness of gender. And I feel like taking advantage of the ways in which we don't have a language that manages both is something that is really being exploited here. Because they're saying, okay, so you're saying with drag that gender is a construction. So you're constructing these trans identities. Right. Which to some extent, yes, we are finding the identity that expresses what I am. Okay, but then is it essential? Is it not essential? You're born this way, you're not born this way. It's constructed, not constructed. They're obviously going to choose the things that 
benefits their political psychosis most precisely right. at any moment. Right. But I just always want to be real in the fact that how we talk about this is always changing, even within a movement, even yes. within a queer movement. There are there are still things that are in fashion, not in fashion. And I feel like that's another thing that you see in terms of the trans panic. Oh my God, are you letting your child take hormones or do something irreversible for something that's a fad? We're trying to talk about these things using language and frameworks that were not built to talk about these things. Yes. Like, what is sex? On the conservative side, you're going to hear a lot about the fourth grade definition of sex that you got in your fourth grade biology textbook. There's XX and there's XY, and there's men and there's women. Any like actual biologist should be able to tell you that that's a drastic oversimplification and that that actual biological sex is a lot more complicated than that and diverse than that. And that in fact, sex is more of a spectrum than a two category binary thing. So if you're going to say like, well, sex is different from gender, you're already starting from like, we don't even know what the fuck sex is. To what extent is, is your brain structure and brain chemicals part of your biological sex? I don't know. But in the popular conversation, we don't talk about that. Sex is a matter of chromosomes and organs. But sex is way more complicated than our culture and our language even can really conceive of right now. Um, and gender is just the culture's building upon its idea of what sex is. Yes. So it's not surprising that we wouldn't have the categories, the language, the concepts to talk about these things in a way that people can readily understand. Uh, and they are capitalizing on that. And I would say they are not only capitalizing on it, but that is the very thing that they are trying, that they are opposed to, that they're trying yes. to squash. Yes. Is any idea that sex and gender could be different from the thing you learned when you were seven, you know? Yes. Boys yes. have a penis, girls have a vagina. Like, that's that. That's it. And it is leading, and I think the, the idea that we could be saying to children that even that idea of sex from when you are seven is a little more complicated, a little more fluid, a little more open, which, by the way, the youngs are super into right now, and they're kind of all over that, and it's very, like, relaxed, and it's just not a big deal. That is what they are freaking the fuck out about. Uh, it's yes. not trans adults. It's trans kids. I mean, well, there are all kinds of anyway. Let's well, let's just briefly talk about all the laws, yeah, and then yeah. we can let's talk about what's going on legislatively. Because I, I agree with you. the The focus is clearly on trans kids. I don't know if it's because trans youth disturb them more, or if it's just because it's the easiest target. Yeah, because you can make this claim about oh, but it's about the children. But here's where we're at, just to set the scene, and I think this is really important. Right. In 2023, I cannot say for certain how many bills 
have been proposed in state legislatures that are anti-trans bills in some way, shape, or form. Because I'm getting different data from different sources that I'm looking at. The ACLU is tracking 491 anti-LGBTQ bills. That's anti-LGBTQ. Another site I saw said there have been 555 proposed anti-trans bills. 71 signed into law, seven others passed but not yet signed or vetoed. Um, The ACLU says there are 272 anti-LGBTQ bills, so that's, that's broad, but 272 that are somehow advancing within state legislatures, 62 that have been passed into law, four that have been introduced but not moved on, and 153 defeated. So whichever number you're going to take, we're talking about a very large number. And we're talking about a large number because this is a concerted, organized effort. This yes. is not like like it's just sort of organically cropping no, up. No, no, this is no. planned. This is organized. The thing you said, the thing you said earlier about eleven people doing all of the book flagging for banning. This is like that. There are a couple of organizations who have drafted. It's just like. It's just like with the fucking anti-abortion. Yeah, that's Remember it. Remember the trap laws? That's like, it. They don't have anything else to do now, man. Right? You got a lot of people at home who need to like sign a bunch of letters and make a bunch we're of gonna, phone calls. We're going to get into that in a second, the relationship to the anti-abortion movement. But yes, it's the same phenomenon where you have these like generic legislations being written by these organizations and then a few individuals in each state are tinkering them to fit those specific state requirements and then putting them up for uh, consideration in their state legislatures. And it's horrifying. Now, there's a, a bunch of different categories. When we say there's circa 500 bills that have been proposed, these cover a lot of different categories, like sports, Uh, participation is a big one. A lot of states have enacted or passed uh, bans on mostly it's trans girls participating in sports, which is just like so fucking heartbreaking to me. But um, there's also still, we're still looking at bathroom laws, forcing trans people to use the wrong bathroom. Uh, Another category is education, schools and education um there's um healthcare which mm-hmm. is essentially access to gender affirming care uh the ACLU also notes accurate IDs as a category some some states four states have passed into law laws that require a person's ID to have their gender assigned at birth and not their actual gender that's fucked up uh Free speech and expression is one of their categories. I drag bands would fit under that category. So, so it's taking a lot of different forms is the point. But the larger point is that all of these bills, and in many cases laws, are designed to make it impossible to live as a trans person. Yes. Make it impossible to just exist 
and be trans and be, you know, and be out as trans. And I, I do want to just mention, I have a friend uh, with a trans child in, in Pennsylvania who was sharing that even in a state that does not have these bans, and even with good health care, getting her child the help that they need is already a fucking nightmare. Right. Like, it's right. a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work like, at the best of no, times. It's not what the conservatives fantasize, which is that you somehow show up at this like liberal doctor's and you're like, my kid is trans no matter what they tell you. And then yeah. the doctor's like, great, let's cut off their genitals. Like, like that's not or happening. Or that a child can show up and say, I am they, them, do this for me. And without any parental concern or right. due process, they're just going to like do this care. Like right. actually my aunt, my very conservative aunt who reads a lot of bullshit online and is not very good at understanding what's a bullshit uh, source. and Don't we all have one of those? What's a regular source? Is like LAUSD, like if somebody comes and says that they're trans, they'll just give them me- like drugs. And I was like, Are, like LAUSD no, the- won't give my child an over-the-counter allergy medication without You me cannot for- give them a Tylenol. Without oh, me signing school- 17 forms yeah. in triplicate. Are you fucking kidding me like like what and she was like well Planned Parenthood does and my mom was like no this is what Planned Parenthood says on their website and then you look at the source and it's like clickbait xyz.netcom and you're like oh my god like my 12 year old knows not to come to the table with a fucking source like that are you kidding me but yes but, but your but, twelve year old is actually somewhat savvy. Well, is also a up. digital native. Like yeah. I get it, but it is this thing where this is where they hook people who are more reasonable, which is this idea that you don't want people to feel free to do something to themselves physically that cannot be undone. Like, this is the panic button I'm saying because this is how they get reasonable people to come along for the ride. Like, we have to be really real about this. Like, you have these psychotic white supremacist fascists. How do they get reasonable people to come along for the ride? They get reasonable people who know that their children go through all kinds of fads. To be right. like and phases and phases and, and, and you're questioning things and now in this in this atmosphere in this society the questions that I mean for you and me we 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 kept we only spoke to our pillows <laughs> right right now now the kids are like hey I might be genderqueer in some way and it's yeah. okay and that's a reality but like they do have to make it seem like genital mutilation is nigh. That's right. And that actually that there are a lot more trans people asking for this kind of really profound care than there are. Like right now, yes, you're seeing a lot of people ask for this care because right now a lot of people who didn't know that they could get this care are finding out about it. It is still a very small percentage of the population who are getting this kind of care. And if you talk to trans adults who had no option of getting this kind of care as as prepubescent preteens uh they they will say how difficult their lives were in most cases or in many cases i don't know but i've heard testimonies from plenty of people who were like 
talking about the misery of going through puberty that didn't match their gender and the misery of being an adult, having a body that's gone through that puberty and the idea that we can prevent that and for people. I'm, I'm also seeing a lot of my friends with kids with a variety of gender expression. And what was interesting, my my son has had various dabblings with drag since he was in kindergarten. And I remember we were talking to his pediatrician about him wanting to wear a dress to school because he was trying to prove a point. And she's like, yeah, if it was real gender dysphoria, we would have seen that a lot earlier, a lot mm. earlier than kindergarten. She's like, yeah, I don't think it's gender dysphoria because, or I don't think it's- Wait, so I'm sorry. Let's back up for just yeah. a second. Yes. Your son in kindergarten wanted to wear a dress to prove a point? Yeah. Okay. So he's my kid. I don't know what to say. It's true. <laughs> because he wanted to show that there's no such thing as boy colors and girl colors and boy clothes oh, and girl clothes. And he God. wanted to like prove. And so he was wearing either soccer uniforms, a, a suit, like he would wear a blazer. Right. Or he would wear a dress. And it was very much because he, and it was this way of getting girls to like talk to him because he was sort right. of like, like it was a whole thing. He's wearing a dress to his band <laughs> concert on Friday. He just got his ear pierced. He's gonna he's gonna get laid so much in high school. I know, that right, kid. right. <laughs> and in terms of in terms of gender, I'm like, look, you don't have to choose a major yet, dude. Like whatever. But he's also playing around with these things and has been. Mm -hmm. But he is not asking for intense intervention because he's not trans he's not trans yeah <laughs> like, like the parents i know of trans children have children who were making clear their gender identity from two from yeah very yeah. very early and so when we were talking to our pediatrician like we just want to make sure we're ready and she's like that yeah five six is kind of old to be <laughs> figuring that out honestly yeah. so i'm seeing a lot of parents go through kids Yes, having phases of I'm they, them, I'm changing my name, I'm this, I'm genderqueer, I'm whatever. Very few of them are asking for these services. And it's clear that the ones who are, it is clear and has they, been clear for a it. long yeah. time. Yeah. So I, and I'm with, yes, I'm with all the liberals, okay? <laughs> I'm seeing the youths play with this Let's, world. And Let's look at the yeah. legal context here, though, because with that in mind, with everything you just said in mind, 18 states, 18 states have signed into law bans on gender affirming care for minors. Yeah. So let's be clear what this is. This is genocide. This is like this cleansing. Is, this is this is a fascist cleansing of society. This is genocide. This is an attempt to eradicate trans people from public life, from life, mm -hmm. to, to make trans people have to be in the closet or dead. And I want to say that there are people who should, the fucking people who should know better, the Bari Weisses of the world, who are looking for stories, who are on as journalists, hunting down stories of the one kid out of 500 who who they can get to go on the record saying it was a mistake, who somehow always that kid afterwards was like, that is not what I said. <laughs> They're always looking for that one story. And meanwhile, 
doctors across the fucking world are saying that providing children with this kind of gender-affirming care is preventing suicide. Is saving their lives. It is saving their lives. So, so they are looking for the one exception mm-hmm. to cause a panic over. Right. And that is not what is happening. For the drugs that they take for their cancer or their heart attack, there is the one person who's dead by the drug. Like that's part right, of the right. FDA process. You know what I mean? That's not what it is. They are looking for the one, what they can, a story they can tell is the one exception, which is generally a parent who's freaking out. No, they're, they're fascists. Let's be clear. Yeah. And, and, and fascists have no attachment to reality. They have no attachment to logic or rational argument. They will say whatever they need to say in any given moment. They have no attachment to truth. So they're able to make all kinds of claims that are like not even worth refuting except to the extent that there is some kind of middle of the road person or person who's never thought about these things who needs to understand the lie of what they're saying because you're never going to convince the fascists. That's right. But yeah, you, you do have to put to lie the things they're saying, like they pretend to be concerned that hormone therapy uh, can have long-term health effects, like affect the child's growth, like physical height Mm -hmm. growth and stuff like that, which is like, you know, they give hormone therapy to kids who have delayed puberty. The kids who are reaching the age of puberty and it's not coming, usually eventually it comes, but doctors will still give them hormones to speed things along because they need to affirm their fucking gender. It's gender-affirming care, right, for right. for cis people. Sometimes puberty comes too fast, and you got to use puberty blockers. That happens, too, for cis kids. Yep. Also, yep. For, for the history of fucking medicine, intersex babies, infants born that are intersex, have had surgery done on their genitals Without their consent. And without any sense of where their gender expression is going to land. It's going to be, right? Yes. But because their genitals don't conform to one sex or the other, the standard practice in medicine has been to perform genital surgery on unconsenting babies. So the idea that we can't perform genital surgery on minors or we can't give hormone therapy to minors, that's bullshit. They don't give a shit about that. That has never been their concern. So let's just throw that shit out the window. Um, I I also, I just want to point out before we continue that in addition to the state legislatures passing a lot of these bans, many of which have been already signed into law, there's also things like in Texas, Greg Abbott directed the Department of Family and Protective Services to open child abuse investigations into parents who pursue gender-affirming care for their trans kids. So you're talking about a state where it is legal, but the governor has elected to treat it as child abuse. And even though a judge issued an injunction against that directive, the Texas Attorney General has said that the state will ignore that injunction and that they're just going to continue to investigate. And even if they're not able to successfully, like, take those investigations to the level of, like, taking your kids away, that's it's a form of harassment. 
and families are currently dealing with that. There are families in Texas who have trans kids who are being investigated by yes. the child welfare department because they are getting appropriate medical care for their kids. These are this is also the same people who are like meh free speech, meh business, no rules, no rules on guns, no it's like we're going to use a full-blown mechanism of state power to police gender. Like that yes. is what the government is for. The government right. is not for protecting people from like guns or like have good roads or have good schools or like none of that to educating its populace. No, the government is there as a mechanism of state power to police people's private gender lives. And this is where we get to the link that you and I see between anti-trans legislation and anti-abortion legislation. These things are connected. First of all, I think the overturning of Roe v. Wade sort of opened a floodgates in the sense that it just it just gave permission. It was like... Well, two things. First, it gave permission. Like, we did it. We turned back the hands of time. We can do it with everything else. But secondly, they're now lost the, the thing that gets people to vote against their economic interests. They lost their big thing. There are people who are like, yes, I agree with everything that Biden is standing for, but I am an abortion, an anti-abortion voter. I'm a pro-life voter. Like that has been a very strong one issue vote situation for people. When you lose that, how are you going to get people to vote against their economic self-interest? So you have to make it about sex in relation to panic. You're you're done with abortion. Yeah, it's even more. It's the, the link is even more clear than that because, okay, here's a quotation from Idaho State Representative Julianne Young from something they said in Floor Arguments. I see this conversation as an extension of the pro-life argument. We're not talking about the life of the child, but we are talking about the potential to give life to another generation. So in that sense, there is a nexus on this issue. I don't see it as a contradiction. They're talking about how gender-affirming care ultimately can take away someone's fertility, can make you not able to have yes. children. Yes, Um, So this is someone making very clear that they see it as being linked, or at least this person is trying to, like you said, galvanize the same voter base that were all up in arms against abortion, against gender-affirming care by trying to link them. Yes. You also have Bruce Skog, the representative who introduced that bill in Idaho, saying, the ability to procreate is a fundamental right that must be protected for these children. Yes. So the idea that these trans kids might have some autonomy over their own bodies and might decide that their choice for their body is to make it so that they won't be able to have kids. It's like, no, 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 no. You still have to be able to procreate. And in case there was any further doubt, in Nebraska, they had a anti-trans, anti-gender-affirming um, care bill being considered, and the Nebraska legislature 
voted to fold a 12-week abortion ban into the same bill, banning yes. gender-affirming care for minors. Then they passed the bill and the governor signed it. So lest anyone doubt whether there is a clear connection in con the conservative mindset, in the conservative world, there is a connection. And the bottom line is they do not want individuals to have autonomy over their own bodies. These are two different manifestations of that same idea. I just want to add that building on what we were talking about earlier about using children as your uh, lever and saying that the, the other side wants to harm children, this takes that a step even further than the drag bans do because not only are they uh, claiming to want to protect kids, but actually they are targeting children. Yes, they are. They are targeting trans children in the name of protecting children. And I, I, I'm just fascinated by this. And I say that with quotes, fascinated because I'm horrified and this needs to be fought to save trans people's lives. But I do think it's very interesting that this trans boogeyman and the way it has arisen. And I think you're very right that it is taking the place of the abortion boogeyman in a lot of ways in right-wing culture and right-wing rhetoric. I think it's interesting that they they are passing all these laws where they they seem to want to eradicate trans identities and trans existence. But there's an inherent paradox with fascism, which is that without any boogeyman, they have no reason to exist. They have no group identity. Well, I mean, you see that back to the abortion thing where a major conversation in the right wing is like, oh, shit, we got the abortion thing. I think they wanted to fight abortion without actually ever losing abortion because right. that is their political strategy. And I feel like with these kids' lives and with these parents' lives, there's also all the things folded up in that. We are targeting families who don't believe what we believe. People who are likely to be open to this are going to be likely to believe a whole lot of other things that we mm. want to devalue and denigrate and destroy in our That's society. The, and, and I feel like what's crazy is that where they manage to win is that the attachment to gender even from people who should know better, even from feminists, even from people who've been fighting misogyny, when you say it's not real, gender is constructed to the point where there are people rejecting it, you have kids being like, I'm they, them, and like different forms of gender expression, they are getting allies or they are not getting fought against people who should fight against them. And they're getting allies from unlikely sources because mm. our need to be attached to gender in that way and I'm talking about you and me and everybody listening here is something that really needs to be investigated how invested are we in these binaries because the reason they can win is because people and their fear around letting those things go is deeper than this fringe right-wing faction it runs down the center of American life and like that is where I think that we need to like have hard conversations with ourselves and our friends and the people that we love 
right about that no but that's also where you're being like the real radical feminist because you're recognizing that gender is the organizing principle it's the foundational organizing principle of our society oh listeners oh god i thought i think that we thought for this stretch of time we were winning and things were changing and it's a very painful time to be a human so come join us on <laughs> patreon.com slash sauce podcast and join us on the sauce speakeasy and we can commiserate and be with each other right and we can talk about ways to fight this because we do have to fight it because trans lives are at stake but not just but we can like do it. so many any lives that are gender ch- like challenging yeah, yeah, gender gen- binary gender or, non-conforming yes. in any way. I mean, many people's lives are psychos using trans a very broad category. But yes, <laughs> we have to fight this, and and we can. But let us know. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your personal stories. Have you been affected by any of this anti-trans legislation or anti-drag legislation? <laughs> if that applies to you. You can contact us again, patreon.com slash sauce podcast. If you join, you can talk to us on the Sauce Speakeasy, which is our Discord channel. But you can also always email us. We are saucepodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on all the socials as at sauce podcast. If you want to find me uh, and talk to me, I am at Maya Garantz. Anywhere you're looking for Maya Garantz's. I am at Gynostar, G-Y-N-O-S-T-A-R. On On Blue Sky, apparently. All the socials, including Blue Sky now, if you happen to be on it. Um, if not, you know, reach out. If I ever get an invite code, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go <laughs> All right, listeners, we also want to hear about how we're going to continue having these conversations because these people are not going to stop and so neither are we. So uh, we are open to guests. We are open to specific ways this is playing out. We are here to ruin the things you love and to right. talk about how politics and culture are all wrapped up in each other so please let us know if there are topics we're missing or ways that we should be thinking about it that we are missing we want to hear about it until next time adios amigas